tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Nice of all of you to stop by. (laughs) I don't know. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. The voice in my head is saying, and, you know, the voice in my head and I get chatting and we sort of forget that, well, oh, yes, there's a show. (laughs) Just kidding. We anticipate it. It's fun. Well, before the fun, let well, (laughs) praying is fun, too. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray unto thou. O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all his angels who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all these evil angels, I should remember that. Well, that said, let us go to the big book on the coffee table. And we are once again in the letter to the Romans. Um, This is, um, I got uh, uh, a note from someone uh, with an analysis of the, um, of the, um, Letter of the Romans, which was, it was, you know, it was kind of funny because uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I agreed with it. So um, the the uh, uh, basically it was. I always like to think my harebrained theories are unique, and some of them are, and the ones that are unique are probably wrong. But I, I do believe that this. This was in response to the return of the Jews to Rome. And, you know, I've never heard any commentator talk about that. People talk about, well, the church in Rome was established uh, from the beginning. And it was. There were, there were believers in Rome uh, pretty soon after, the, um, um, uh, after, after Pentecost. We read in the Acts of the Apostles that there were visitors from Rome in, in the, in the um, Pentecost event. Uh, I always think the upper room, there are people who say it couldn't have been the upper I don't know, I wasn't there, but that, the point is moot. Um, oh, I might as well talk about that since I'm off the track. Well, the uh, um, a lot of people say that the Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit must have happened in the temple for two reasons, that that would have been a space that could have accommodated or that would have attracted all those people. Um, but the, um, uh, 
and there would have been enough water in the in the the mikvahs, the ritual baths, to do all that baptizing. However, there may have been open spaces uh, around the the uh, site of the upper room, and there was enough water to do a lot of baptizing because right out the, the there was a, a gate in that part of Jerusalem called the Essene Gate, which has only fairly recently been rediscovered. Um, and outside that, it was called the Essene Gate because there was it was the Essene Quarter. Uh, the upper room was in a in a quarter in a section of Jerusalem where there was an Essene population. This this radical uh, uh, separatist and Puritan group. Um, well, outside that gate were the Essene latrines. The the Essenes believed that the uh, rules governing the sanctity of the encampment of Israel in the desert governed the city of Israel. And you could not uh, relieve the call of nature and that sort of thing um, uh, in the city of Jerusalem, just as you couldn't have done it in the camp in the desert. So there was a gate called the Essene Gate, in which... Uh, outside of which were the Essene latrines and the Essene baths because they were fanatically clean uh, and their bathing rituals were, were constant. Um, so if you saw something, someone running fast toward the Essene gate, frankly, you got out of the way. But this is a little-known archaeological fact. So, I, you know, the, the Pen Pentecost could have been in the upper room where we've always traditionally thought it was. Or it could have been in the temple. I don't know. I wasn't there. But uh, how did I get off on that? It's always it's even a mystery to me how I get off on these things. Uh, the the well, the Acts of the Apostles. There were Romans at at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So there was a church established in Rome. Very, or at least there was a Christian presence established in Rome. Uh, whether they had um, what we would call a bishop by then, uh, who knows? But it is still the fact of history that around 50 A.D., the Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews, which would have included the Christians, from Rome. The fact is, it might have, some theories, uh, theories say it was just the uh, Jewish Christians, but again, I don't know. But what I add to this debate, I think, is is you got to look at the historical context. All right, I've said that about 20 times in the past few weeks. And so in the letter to the Romans today, uh, what's going on is St. Paul is, is talking about, you know, he's trying to say to, to Greeks and Jews, can't we all just get along, um, that there is a, a, a rabbinical, uh, reasonable, biblical Torah reason to, to, to say that, well, we don't have to obey the law of Moses in the way we obeyed it before the Messiah came. We're still bound by the Ten Commandments. And so that's, I think, St. Paul is is kind of reminding people of the theme with which he started the letter. If you look at the beginning of the leader of the letter, he, he, he talks about, oh, those Greco-Romans, aren't they terrible? They worship weird idols and have strange practices. Um He's he's trying to say I'm one of you guys I'm Jewish, but let's let's open our minds and and hearts to to people who are not Jewish who clearly have been called by God into this process of adoption as sons of God. Uh, 
There's a very difficult line in the in the text of Romans about uh, Scripture says Jacob I loved Esau I hated. Who said you mean God hated someone? I don't know. That's an explanation for a different day. But why why would Saint Paul put that in this letter? Well, because he, he's trying to say that God has His own purposes. Uh, I, he goes on to say after that that. I will have mercy on those on whom I will have mercy. So who are you to argue with God that, you know, maybe he does like Greek-speaking people. That's the point he's trying to make. But he goes back to the theme of, but I'm a Jew. I'm on your side. So I speak the truth in Christ. I do not lie. My conscience joins with the Holy Spirit, bearing me witness that I have great sorrow and constant anguish in my heart. I wish I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. Now, listen up on this. They are the children of Israel. In other words, not just the nation of Israel, but they're the children of Jacob, who is called Israel. Theirs is the adoption, the glory of the covenants. What do you mean theirs is the adoption? God in the Old Testament said that Israel was his firstborn. God is not the father of individual people, but he calls himself a father by adoption to Israel, his firstborn. There's the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. There's the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, is the Messiah, who is over all. Uh, God bless it forever. That's a very Jewish thing to say, Baruch Hu, blessed is he. So, uh, um this idea that people have of, of a replacement theology, that that the new Israel has replaced the old Israel. First of all, there is no new Israel, uh, That that at least in the Bible. You're not going to find the phrase new Israel. You'll find new covenant, new Jerusalem, but you're not going to find new Israel. It's just Israel. And what Paul is saying is that, that the Judean people, the Jew, people we would call Jews, were not thrown out of Israel. We don't replace them. But we claim that we who are not genetically Jewish, not Jewish according to the flesh, as St. Paul calls it, that we are grafted in, we're adopted into the nation of Israel. So the the claim of Christians, which of course would be refuted by by I can't think of anyone Jewish who would not refute that, uh, but uh, we claim to be part of Israel. We don't say that they're not. Um, well, you mean, so the covenant uh, with the Jews is still valid? And I always point out there is no covenant with the Jews. There's a covenant with Israel. The covenant of Sinai is with Israel, of which the tribe of Judah is part. Well, that's the same thing. I don't know that it is the same thing. Um, <clears throat> there's a covenant with the house of David, covenant with Israel, uh, and there are six covenants altogether. Uh, but the, um, the fact is that, uh, as St. as my, no, it's, most people say St. Paul didn't write it. I'm not sure he didn't, but the letter to the Hebrews it tells us that, um, that we have better promises. The covenant made with Israel is a very simple one. I will be your God and you will be my people. 
It doesn't promise the complete forgiveness of sins. It doesn't, you know, there's forgiveness of sins, but it, the radical forgiveness of sins on Calvary is, is something unique, I think, to uh, the covenant of Calvary. Um, the, 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 uh, it doesn't promise life after death. Most Orthodox Jews believe in the survival of death, and the Hasidim, uh, the, the, rather the, uh, oh, good grief, uh, the Kabbalists believe in reincarnation. I remember Rabbi Lefkowitz saying, we got a problem. We believe in the resurrection, and we believe in, in uh, he was a Kabbalist, we believe in the resurrection, and we believe in uh, reincarnation. So which one of us gets raised from the dead? Who knows? So that was a bit of a a logical contradiction that he he had accepted in his own mind. Uh, <clears throat> but most Jews, Orthodox Jews, would believe in the survival of death, but it is not a requirement of Jewish faith. Uh, and it isn't in the Torah. It isn't in the first five books of the Bible. doesn't promise resurrection. And so in the covenant that we believe God made through the Messiah on Calvary, we believe that that God offers us all those things if we accept his grace. So uh, that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, no, God hasn't rejected Israel, uh, the genetic Israel. It's just he wants to bring more people to the covenant. That's not what I want to talk about today, now that I spent most of my time talking about it. I want to talk about conscience. This is a very interesting word. My conscience joins with the Holy Spirit. I think this is a really interesting thing. The word for conscience in Greek is synedesis. The synedesis is a very important idea for Paul. He mentions it, for instance, in Romans, the second chapter, uh, um, uh, the 15th verse. He talks about um, the, the conscience of of the, the, the Greek and Roman people was darkened. Um, that, that they, they did terrible things, uh, because, well, they, they, their consciences were, 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 uh, gosh, well, uh, they showed the work of the law in their hearts. They knew the law in their hearts because of their consciousness. So what's a conscience? The Greek word synedesis is very interesting because it means it's a combination of syn, which means with, and edesis, which means knowledge. It is a share. It, well, the word conscience in, in Latin, we, that word comes from Latin, conscientia. It means the same exact thing. It means with and knowledge. Now, the I maintain that the prefix con is often a modifier, is often an intensifier in a word like uh, to uh, to conjure up a spirit. Hurare is to swear, jurare is to swear, and that con would be an intensifier. Uh, sometimes it means uh, it simply has the sense of with. I'm not as sure about it, believe it or not, in Greek, which I actually studied more than well, I've studied them both a lot. Uh, I was a slow learner, so I had to study a lot. But um, it means a shared knowledge. And to me, this is a very significant thing. Now, again, I, I'm afraid I'm going to go a little longer than I should, but I always do. What is a shared knowledge? There is one of the most beautiful stories in the world. Uh, 
there is a picture. Uh, I've seen it, you know, watching uh, war documentaries. When the soldiers took Okinawa, the American soldiers took Okinawa, it was a bloody battle. And they, the Okinawans have been told that the Americans were going to do terrible things and they should all commit suicide. And many, many of the Okinawan civilians did. And they, they fought to the last man. And the, the, the Americans are throwing, you know, grenades and flamethrowers into caves. And, and people, a few people came out. And there's this, this heart-rending picture. I think it's a little girl. Um, and she's just covered with mud. And she's just shaking. It, it, you can see it in the film. She's just shaking. And an American soldier comes up. And, and tries to give this little girl some water and tries to comfort this little girl. There are so many pictures of soldiers carrying little Japanese children. Uh, these are the children of their enemies. And you would think that you'd want to kill them. But these guys had conscience. They were citizens, citizen soldiers and they had a conscience. So what does that mean? A syneticist, they, they shared a knowledge of the mutual humanity they, they had with these, these Japanese survivors on Okinawa. And they could see themselves in them. That's conscience. I think this is a very important thing. St. Paul is big on conscience. When he says, my conscience witnesses with the Holy Spirit, what's going on? <laughs> Paul had been tormented by his co-religionists, his co-nationalists, and he still couldn't kick him to the curb. He saw himself in them. My, my shared knowledge, my conscience joins with the Holy Spirit in bearing witness that I'm in agony for my people. I'm not doing this because I hate them. I'm doing it because I love them. You see, conscience is the ability, I think, to see the law of God as it works itself out in the lives of my life and the lives of other people. What you hate do to no one, the scripture says. That's the law summed up. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. I would not be killed, so I should not kill. When I see another person and realize there's, there's a right and a wrong, and it would be wrong for this to happen to me, so it's wrong for it to happen to someone else. You see a bum on the street. That's somebody's kid. Above all, it's God's kid. You see, you see a, 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 um, a, a young person who's gone astray and is ruining their life. You know, that could, that's somebody's, that's somebody's beloved child. That child was, was received into the world with love. And look what's happened. Uh, you know, uh, when I see someone begging in the street, um, I think God forbid it should be one of my own. Um, and you know, because of that, you know, unless the traffic starts moving and I, I try to give, um, well, that's just enabling behavior. Oh, come on. You look at someone and you think that child was somebody's darling and that child is God's darling 
And, you know, we're able to, to varnish over our consciences. We're able to, to allow hate to overcome them. But way down deep, we know this is wrong. This isn't the way God made it. And we live in a society in which we have covered over our consciences. We can do whatever we want. We can be who we decide we are, even when deep inside, we realize that we're violating nature itself. We're violating the very image of God that God gave us. Um, you know, I think that the louder people yell about, about, uh, well, I can do this. It's my body. I can do with my body what I want. They yell so loud because they want to drown out their own consciences. And they hate us Christians because we believe there is such a thing as a syneticist, a conscience. And I just want to, I know I'm going long, please forgive me. But um, I want to go to the gospel real quickly. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of the leading Pharisees, and there was a guy suffering from, from dropsy, you know, uh, from from um, severe edema. I think that's dropsy. Uh, and, and Jesus said, is it legal to cure on the Sabbath? And he cured him, and they couldn't answer him. But they says, who among you, if your son or your ox falls into a cistern, wouldn't immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? This was a child of God who was seriously ill, and right in front of Jesus, for the sake of their religion, these guys had had papered over their own conscience. Oh, you can't heal on the Sabbath. What if it was your kid? <laughs> Would you want him healed? So, conscience that 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 shared understanding that God has put in us. It. That and the Holy Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit and formed by conscience. Now, you got to form your conscience. You just can't take conscience for granted that, that we have the responsibility to form our conscience according to what God has revealed. But pay attention to your conscience because uh, it's one of the most important ways God speaks to you. So uh, that said, let's go to a break. We'll come back uh, with letters and... Um, the phones will be open at 888-888-914-914-888-914-914. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Show me the prison. Show me the jail. Show me the prisoner whose life has gone stay. And I'll show you a young man with so many It's uh, it's a short life in this valley of tears, and uh, I think we need to be a little more appreciative of how very much God loves everyone. 
And I think that's what St. Paul is saying in his letter to the Romans. I really do. Now, uh, let us, well, before we go to letters, I, 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 well, I got a letter from uh, Father Mike in California, who was, uh, I correspond with, and um, <laughs> he was talking about Bishop Barron, who I actually knew him when he was a kid. I'm that old. Uh, a lovely boy, as we would say in Skokie. Um, but um, I hope I don't embarrass him, but he really thought his way into an active Christian life. Um, you know, uh, I, I read an article um, in one of the one of the more conservative blog sites, in which a person who had been involved in the charismatic renewal for a couple of years was kind of talking about its problems in relationship to uh, so much modern theology and so much practice in the church. And you know, I really had to admit he was right. Um, so many people say, well, the Spirit is leading us in a new way. He is? How do you know that? Well, I feel it. And I think this was this fellow's point, that that um, feeling that this is the Holy Spirit doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. And I think that was one of the problems with the charismatic renewal. A strong feeling trumped everything. I remember an old Pentecostal preacher saying that the Pentecostal movement has not yet come up with a substitute for for, for common sense. And he was quite right that um, scripture says that every word is confirmed by two or three witnesses. And in the church, we have two or three witnesses. Um, we have tradition, we have the scriptures, and we have the consistent teaching authority of 2000 years. We have held and taught certain things consistently for 2000 years. There's three witnesses. So what's the, what's, so I have a strong feeling from the Holy Spirit. That's called a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's not, a, it's not a necessarily a word from God. A strong feeling on my part doesn't mean that's the Holy Spirit speaking. It may be a prompting from the Holy Spirit. And when we have a prompting, as the Pentecostals would call it by the Holy Spirit, we check it out against the witnesses of Scripture and for us Catholics, tradition and the teaching authority of the church. Um, you know, that that I think that it's a grave mistake, and it's a grave mistake that we Pentecostal types commit uh, to say that, well, if I feel it very strongly, it must be God. No, it may be, it may just be uh, something I really want. And and uh, I've heard it said that for God, there are no emergencies. So if you feel a prompting from the Holy Spirit about something wonderful, but don't assume that it's the Holy Spirit until you have tried it out against two or three witnesses. St. Paul says, we know imperfectly and we prophesy imperfectly. Um, so I think that, you know, as we as we uh, face the issues that we're facing in the church, we really need to understand a prompting from the Holy Spirit is not necessarily the Holy Spirit speaking. Uh, that's why I'm fascinated by St. Paul saying, my conscience and the Holy Spirit in that, that reading. I think that's a very interesting thing. Let's look at it one more time. Um, my conscience joins with the Holy Spirit in bearing me witness. In other words, he's not just saying, well, I feel from the Holy Spirit. No, my conscience, my my shared knowledge, this this knowledge that I have in my human nature. And then he starts quoting scripture. So he's, he's talking about uh, um, Israel biblically, in terms of his conscience, 
prompted by the Holy Spirit. So I think that we need to distinguish between the promptings of the Holy Spirit and an authoritative word from God. They, I can, I, in my humanity, I can easily confuse the promptings of the Holy Spirit with what I like or what I want or what I feel. And uh, how did I, why did I bring up Bishop Barron? Because Bishop Barron, um, he really teaches how to look at these things through multiple lenses, one of them being our conscience and our understanding. And uh, I think he does yeoman work, but that's just, that's just me. And uh, I, I, I actually remember when he was a teenager and, and uh, he was wise beyond his years. All right, that said, let's go to letters. All right. Let's see here. This is uh, uh, from Maria in Sacramento. Who can hear our mental prayers? Are they valid? Do you have biblical references for this topic? Uh, also, please explain heaven <laughs> and provide biblical proof of the afterlife. Well, Jesus said, uh, "There in my Father's house, there are many, many dwelling places. In other words, we don't go to heaven. We go home to the Father's house, and we are adopted into that family, which is God. So much for heaven. And then the biblical proofs are Jesus said, I go to make a place for you. That's There's a biblical proof. And, uh, and then mental prayers, of course, they're valid. God hears everything. And uh, uh, where, where's the text for mental prayers? Oh, good grief. Where did it go? Uh, okay. I actually looked it up. Good uh, grief. Amen. We read that uh, uh, in the Gospel of John that Jesus uh, knew uh, uh, the the thoughts of their heart. So there you go. Oh, here we go. It's John 2.25. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person, or what was in each person's heart. 2.25. Jesus can read our hearts. So the devil only knows and the angels only know what God is pleased to tell them. Uh, not, not, uh, not, um, uh, they can't eavesdrop unless God gives them permission, but God knows every prayer of our heart. That was, oh, that's as good as I can do, Maria, to explain heaven and prove the afterlife from the scripture and, um, and explain who gets to hear our prayers. All right. That said, all right. This is from an anonymous person. Can Catholic women read romance novels if they do not contain salacious scenes? If it's there, if they're not pornographic, I suppose so. But why would you? There's so much wonderful stuff to read. You can read, uh, go back and read the classics like Tale of Two Cities and uh, Wuthering Heights. Those, I suppose, are romance novels. There's great stuff to read. Or read Jane Austen. That, but they're not salacious. So, uh, you know, just remember, we like computers. Garbage in, garbage out. And if you're reading garbage, well, there you go. So if they don't, if they're not pornographic, I suppose there's nothing wrong with them. And of course, different people react differently to different uh, things. So if they, if they violate your conscience, don't read them, but you got to form your conscience. That's another thing. Conscience has to be formed. Uh, we can't take it for granted. Um, Let's see. Oh, by the way, there are plenty of lines open at 
888-914-9149. All right. This is um, uh, from, is it from, it's from Zoila. Drew played a few seconds of young Israeli boy sings the Shema and blows the shofar for Israeli soldiers. Uh, this is the title on YouTube. It's about a minute long. It's so beautiful and moving. Could you comment on the sung prayer, especially the shofar? It's used as part of more prayers. Yeah, the shofar is, oh gosh, when is a shofar used? It's used a lot. Um, it's, um, uh, it's, it's blown at the new moon. It's, it's, let's see, when, 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 when did they blow the shofar? Let me, let me pull something up. Uh, the, the shofar is blown in the synagogue serves on Rosh Hashanah at the end of Yom Kippur. It's blown every weekday morning in the month of Elul, which is the month before Rosh Hashanah. Uh, I think it's also blown. Is it blown at the new moon? I can't remember that. And, and, um, the, 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 um, uh, there's something called the three, the three blowings of the shofar, uh, the shavarim. It's a, it's a sound that's a burp, burp, burp. That's, that's me imitating shofar. It sounds like weeping. Uh, so it's, it's used in a lot of contexts. It's a horn made out of the literal horn of a ram. And it is very important. I remember, uh, if Yom Kippur, there, there's dispute. If Yom Kippur is on a Sabbath, uh, they don't blow the shofar on the Sabbath because to blow the shofar on the Sabbath itself, now I may be wrong about this, so take it with many grains of salt, but to blow the shofar on the Sabbath itself, a lot of uh, rabbis say that's that you don't do it because it is uh, um, uh, to carry, to lift the shofar is to bear a burden. Nah. So that's what it means. It, it's it's a it's a kind of a call to to prayer thing. It's a call to attention. But the Shema, the Shema is Hero Israel. Shema means hear. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole strength. Um, and then they don't throw in as we Christians do, as Jesus taught us. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They don't put that part in. It's the it's called the the creed of, of Judaism. It's the credo. And um, there are different melodies for it. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's the centerpiece of, of Jewish worship. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. So I hope that answers your question. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, all right. Let me, Soila. Okay. Now let me go to the, I got another one here. Uh, this is um, from Patricia, uh, and I was praying with Luke thirteen eighteen to 21. In my prayer, I sense the kingdom of God is my heart. God is king of my life, my heart, thus my heart is his kingdom. And where my faith started, small at baptism, become fully grown as I grow in age and wisdom. I also sense the three measures of wheat flour, uh, Three persons of the Holy Trinity working in my heart. I think that is is um, a lovely idea too, to grow faith, hope, and charity. I just thought I'd share what came to my heart in prayer. Yeah, uh, again, um, I'm kind of rigorous about the kingdom of God, but I think it is not a bad thing to say that the kingdom of God is the heart where God is king, and um, uh, kingdom in its primary meaning in 
Greek and in Hebrew means the royal authority and the royal nature. So, again, we got lots of phones open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Don't leave me hanging. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with a word of the day. Today, we'd like to thank Deborah, who's listening in California for donating her 1986 Volkswagen Jetta. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Get right, church, and let's go home. Well, get right, church, and let's go home. Get right, church, and let's go home. Get right, church. We don't go to heaven, we go home. home on the morning That's a beautiful thought. All right, let us go now to the word of the day. After that beautiful song and curse, that's a cursed. St. Paul says in the first reading, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. This is a fascinating word in Greek. Of course, they all are. Let's see, where did I put the fascinating word in Greek? Ah, yes, here it is. The word is anathema. You know, we use that word anathema. It's like it's forbidden. It's anathema. Don't speak about it. But it's a very interesting word because it's something that's offered up to God. A curse is something that's offered up to God. It's The word is from ana which means up, and thema is from the verb tithemi, to place. It's placed up. It's offered up. I think that's fascinating. In other words, you give it up to God, and uh, um, uh, that may mean destroying it, uh, uh, um, putting it under a ban. Um, it's a fascinating idea, and I think that, that St. Paul mentions that when he talks about handing people over to Satan, that's in the Bible. Let me find that. Handing over uh, to Satan that they might be redeemed on the last day. What is that about? Oh, I found it. I got it. It's 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. All right. Seriously, it's, it's in the Bible, the big book on the coffee table. Um, we read that when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, along with the power of the Lord Jesus. Oh, I could talk for hours on that. You know, oh dear. St. Paul says, I pray with the spirit, I pray with the mind. There are people who think that if it's powerful, that's the Holy Spirit. Then there are other people who think if it's really smart, it's the Holy Spirit. It's both. But that's for another day. Maybe I'll make that a word of the day next week sometime. But uh, when you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, along with the power of the Lord Jesus, now listen up. This is 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Whoa. Hand him over to Satan? In other words, let him go. Let him go. Let him be anathema. Let him be handed over, handed up. That's To me, that's fascinating 
that that an anathema isn't simply uh, we're not talking to you anymore. It's we're giving you to God, <laughs> and uh, good luck with that. I mean, to fall. So we read uh, elsewhere in the Scripture that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Have you ever heard that? It is a fearful thing. Oh, here we go again. I wish I thought of this earlier. It is a fearful thing, Hebrews 10.31, to fall into the hands of the living God. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Exactly. All right, that said, that cheerful, cheerful thing, let's go to phones. Hello? You talk, I'll listen. Rosa, I'll probably do some talking to Rosa from Brooklyn, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Um, Hello. I, I always wondered... I always wondered why uh, uh, Israel, uh, the Jews, allowed uh, to have the mosque being built in such a, a prominent area, such as over the uh, the the, uh, the over Solomon's temple. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's Rosa? Such an amazing. Yeah, Rosa, the, the Jews didn't allow that. In fact, is Jerusalem at that time was a Christian Roman city, and they didn't allow it either. Islam, it was abandoned, and Islam came in, conquered the the Roman the Roman forces of Jerusalem. There there was a period from about oh three hundred A.D. to six hundred A.D. six fifty A.D. There were three hundred three hundred fifty years where Jerusalem was not a Jewish city; it was a Christian city, and for quite a while, Jews weren't even allowed in except one day of the year. And the the Temple Mount at that time is thought to have been completely abandoned. And the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which had been built by Christian Romans, was considered one of the most beautiful buildings in the world. And it had this golden dome. And so when the Muslims came in, they built a dome on the site of what had been the Holy of Holies, the the Rock of Foundation. Uh, And it, it was to contrast with this beautiful Christian church. So nobody allowed anybody to do it. They just did it on their own force. So I hope that answers your question, Rosa. God bless. Well, yeah, people, yeah, we, I think it's interesting to study about it. Well, not without causing world war three at the moment, there are all sorts of groups that, 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 that want to rebuild the temple. But then there are Jewish groups that say, no, no person can rebuild the temple except the Messiah. And for us Christians, the point is moot because the Messiah did rebuild the temple. It's the church, the temple, not, not made of stones, but made with living stones. And so we are the third temple. Uh, that's what we believe. So I hope that answers the question. We don't have to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem because we are the temple and we are headed for the, the new Jerusalem, our Heavenly Mother, as the, the preface said yesterday. Let's go to Dorothy from Monterey, California. Dorothy, how, what can I do for Good you? Good morning. Good morning, Father Richard. I'm looking morning. at the Bible of Luke chapter 1. Do you think mm-hmm. perhaps that because the Jews have been persecuted since the time of Jesus, because at that time they rejected him, do you think it's possible that it's kind of, I hate to say it, like a curse upon them because they did not believe in our Lord? No, I don't. Um, okay. You have to understand, I, I often quote Dr. Rodney Stark, a sociologist. People say, well, the Jews rejected Jesus. Most of them didn't. Uh, according to Dr. Rodney Stark, he's a sociologist. A great number of the Jewish community throughout the empire, the Roman and, and Persian empires, 
acknowledged Jesus as Messiah and blended into the Greek and Aramaic-speaking populations. So the, the first the first Christians were in fact Jews, and there were maybe seven, eight million Jews in the Roman Empire and in the Holy Land at the time of Christ. 200 years later, there were less than a million. Well, what happened to all those Jews? Some died in wars and plagues, etc. But most of them probably blended into the Christian community. And and what what rabbinic Phariseeism is today, Judaism, those are Jews who said no to Jesus. And And the persecution of the Jews wasn't really a factor in Europe until the Middle Ages. Uh, St. Augustine talked about, oh, the Jews are in the world to show how miserable life can be without Jesus, so don't hurt them, don't don't bother their businesses, their lives, don't threaten them, just let them go about their business. So there wasn't a policy of, of persecution of the Jews until about the year 1000 with the beginning of the Crusades, and since then it has been a reprehensible history. And I don't think it is because of the curse of God. I think, you know... Uh, uh, when when the Sadducees, who are the ones who crucified Jesus, the Pharisees did, and the Sadducees did, they said, let his blood be upon us. And the Sadducees, as a political party and a group, ceased to exist when the temple was destroyed. But I think one can look at it quite differently, that God has blessed the, the Pharisee party, the rabbinic Pharisees who uh, are Jews, because is there another people that has survived uh, in the way that they've survived? You know, I think that that um, um, their devotion to what they believe is is valiant. So, I think that 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 uh, uh, that that curse applied to the Pharisees and not to all of Israel. That's my thought on it, and I think it is very counterproductive to talk about uh, uh, you know a divine curse. On, on Saint Paul says exactly the opposite. He wishes he were accursed for the sake of his people. So that's just a thought on it. Joseph from from uh, uh, Santee, California. How can I help you? Well, I have a question for you, Father Simon. Uh, good day to you, by the way. Uh, yeah. I uh, attend Latin, the Latin Mass, and mm-hmm. um, on All Saints Day, uh, during the, the Mass uh, with the sacrifice of the Eucharist, uh, there were three priests up on the altar, and the one in the the one in the rear of the of the three had a veil or a mantle draped across his shoulders. Yeah, and he was yes. holding it up at, at, to block his sight. It's a, it looked like it was the same one that they used for handling the monstrance, but yes. he did he didn't have a monstrance in his hand. I was just wondering what the significance of, of that was. Why why he was the, uh, had his yeah, the old mass, the, the the old mass is very hierarchical in the sense that that it imitated the 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 grades by which you go to God. You know, the the belief about angels that there are these choirs of angels that progressively reach God, or the the priests in the temple you have the outer court and then the inner court and then the holy of holies. Uh, that that what you were looking at the 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 there are normally there's a a priest or bishop who's the celebrant of the mass. Then there's a deacon, and behind him. Uh, as they lower down the steps, is what they call a subdeacon. Deacons and priests and bishops are ordained with the sacrament of holy orders. The subdeacon, though there was an ordination, it wasn't part of the sacrament of holy orders. And so uh, 
the old mass, the the sacred things of mass, like the chalice, the the paten, and such things, were only touched by the consecrated hands of holy orders, and so the subdeacon would hand things to the deacon, would hand things to the priest, but he would not directly touch them. He would use that veil to touch uh, uh, the sacred things, giving them to the deacon whose hands were consecrated. That was the symbolism of it, that it was it was about the sacredness of things as you drew closer to the altar. Does that answer your question, Joseph? Yes, even even though all three of the the even though all three persons up there were were yes uh, yes the, were priests they were they were yes. filling those roles okay okay yes That's exactly one was one was celebrant one was deacon and one was subdeacon and they were fulfilling the roles okay exactly there you go it really is a fascinating liturgy let's go to Kathleen from South Bend are you with us Kathleen hi Father yes I am. Well, what can I do for you? Well, I just want to tell you how special you are to me. And I've gotten into the habit at 2 o'clock, I make sure I'm by my radio. And (laughs) this is really quick. I joined the church a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And when the whole story came out about the uh, priests molesting the young boys, I got so mad. I got so mad, I can't even tell you. And then as time went on, and I've always said a Hail Mary every day, but I quit the church. And mm-hmm. now, because of you and just mm. relevant radio in general, I want to go back to the church. Well, well, and Kathleen, please don't go back to the church for me. Go back to the church for Christ especially Christ in the Eucharist. We priests can be very disappointing. I mean, really, we're sinners saved by grace. But but I, I think that I'm, I'm delighted that you want to come back to the faith. And it's really very simple. All you have to do is go to confession. Uh, and, and, you know, you're going to confess your sins to a man who may or may not be a good man. You're confessing them to Christ. The only reason to be a Christian is Christ. You know, and, and uh, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, I'm a sinner, and, and I beg you not to come back to the church because of me, but to come back to the church because of Christ, especially Christ in the Eucharist. And and I, I think that that's just a blessing that you want to come back. Just go to confession at, at your parish church, and uh, um, that'll do it. So I hope that helps. I want to move on to one more question because we just have a minute. Kathleen from South Bend, what can I do for you? Oh, that was Kathleen. I hope that answers your question, Kathleen. Oh, there's music. Mary, did Joseph have to go to purgatory where the gates of heaven were opened? I don't think so. I don't know. Um, uh, I, I tend to doubt it. Uh, um, remember, for God, it's all happening right now. And speaking of things happening right now, Drew is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> 